Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the History of Video Games. My name is Wes, and I am here with Ben. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Wes? I am doing really good. Uh, you know, it's we're in the holiday season. That's not going to make sense with when this episode comes out, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just a good time, just kind of chilling right now. But yeah, I'm curious if uh, with some of this chilling time, you've got some new games to talk about. Oh, I do. And uh, I think you know what it is, Wes, because you gifted it to me for Christmas. Yes, so thank yes. you. <laughs> Freaking Mountain Blade Bannerlord, the game I've been looking forward to for like such a long time. <laughs> I had to do it. Yeah. You know, if you weren't going to do it, I was going to do it. <laughs> Someone was going to do it. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, dude. At first, I had a little bit of like errors running the game. It auto defaulted to having all the settings set to high, which probably wasn't good. But what, as soon as I turned some stuff down and got it running, I still haven't done any like big battle yet, so I'm a little worried about that, but it started to actually play good, and man, it's like everything the original Mountain Blade was, but just better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really loving it. The only thing I don't like about it is the Renown system so far. Maybe you can kind of give your thoughts on that, but... Essentially, for people out there that don't know, it seems like a system where the game kind of forces you to do more grinding in order to unlock more stuff later. Whereas I feel like in the first game, if you wanted to be real risky and just take on a bunch of dudes with a small party or something, or uh, I don't know, just try to rush certain things over others, it let you do that even if it maybe wasn't a good idea. And in this game, it feels a little bit more bottleneck there, but in general, uh, the story was cool. I'm still going through it, obviously. The combat is just like I remember, which is the most important part. Oh, yeah. Um, I love the new talent trees for each of the skills. That's great. Just about everything about it is really good. Really, really good. I'm not really sure... I feel like people age in this one and possibly die of old age. I yes. think I turned it off, but I'm a little worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, I've just been loving it. So, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it's and, such a good game. And did you check the options so that your companions can't just die in battle? Or I think so. There was a, definitely a box when I started that said, I, but I think it was just your main character. If your main character can die, and I said no. So maybe my friends can die but i've been in a lot of battles and nobody's nobody's died so maybe not probably if, not. if they do i'm not i'm not too worried because at this point they're basically just hired right from the pub right <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know i'll find out but yeah what are your thoughts on it because especially with renown because to me that was like oh what do you like what was it that i wanted to do start a kingdom but you have to be like really high for renown for that oh okay you know, honestly, the way I play the game is so weird <laughs> because I've played it for so many hours, but I still just like going and doing the tournaments and yeah. fighting bandits and stuff. And that actually gives you a lot of renown too. So I don't know what, yeah, uh, like where I'm at, if I'm actually close to being able to establish my own kingdom, but it is a little weird. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense. It depends what they're going for. It's a kind of realistic game, but not that realistic. But yeah, it does kind of bar you from just being able to like say, oh, I have 12 guys. And if I, you know, save load and until I win this battle and take this castle, I basically have a kingdom like. Yeah, that's definitely how I would do it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then like my whole strategy for the first game and what I was what I still am probably going to do is just like take some place that was just recently ransacked or is completely undefended. That's what I always did. And then just defend it. And I'd gain all my experience by defending because defending is so much easier than attacking in the first game anyway. Because they would just come at you from a single file line, essentially. Right. <laughs> and even if I lost, because in the first game, if you lost, you didn't like immediately become a prisoner because it would, it would only at least for my computer or how I had it set up, it would do like, I don't know, 100 versus 100 at a time. And then it was like part two, 100 versus 100 part three. So after like the first two, I would just like leave. <laughs> and uh, I gained my experience and I lost some dudes. 
but I also killed a lot of dudes. So uh, that's how I played it. <laughs> right. I can see why that's a little rough then because you still got to play like the different either like vassal or roving mercenary kind of play style for a while to be able to build up that renown in the first place. Yeah. But I guess it does give you time to gain a little bit more skills at the outset before you try to take a kingdom. Yeah. I mean, it's true. I'm fine with it for the way that I play the game, but I can see where it would be a bit of a pain for the way that you like to play it. It's a minor issue really, (laughs) but of all the changes they made, that's probably the only thing I can think of that I didn't like, which is pretty good. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great game. I'm loving it. I'm wondering, I don't know how long I played it, maybe 10 hours. And I don't think any city has been captured. So I'm wondering how much the AI does by itself, how passive it plays. Yeah. I've seen like big caravans, but, and some stuff under siege, but I've not really seen any major city change hands yet or any, you know, faction be noticeably smaller than any other. I know that I had at one point in one of my playthroughs, people were taking stuff over, but I've also seen in patch notes a couple times, they are like still tweaking the balance of how aggressive the kingdoms are. Because I think at mm-hmm. one point, like two updates ago, there were like two or three kingdoms that just like always got wiped out <laughs> within like, you know, right. 50 hours of game time or something like that. Um, that might not be an intended thing. You know, it might just be like a balance issue so that mm-hmm. the kingdoms actually stay alive for long enough. Yeah, but I'm really liking it. The story is really cool. I've um, done some forging too. I was like, oh, I kind of like this. <laughs> and obviously the, uh, I still do a lot of tournaments as well. They're always fun. Oh yeah. Even though I'm a, I'm a safe scum for sure. <laughs> I've stopped doing that. I gotta say it's liberating. You know, you're like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> I lost, I'll, I'll just ride away. <laughs> it seems like the tournaments are more numerous in this game than the first game. It does, yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll hit a drought, but you can go to like the city right next to the other city and odds are it has a tournament, which is really nice. Yeah. Everyone's always yeah. partying, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's a good reason to like not have to save scum. Because so, before, like there were times when like I either needed to win this tournament or I was going to have to like let go of people from my party because I had no money. Right, right. Or your troops are going to starve, yeah. <laughs> so I've been loving it. What have you been up to, Wes? Well, I'm so glad you're enjoying that. You got me a game that I actually have not played yet, but I will make sure to update once I play Ratropolis, uh, yeah. which is like a card game slash... Uh, oh, man, there's another game that it's very similar to called like Kingdoms or something like that that okay. I haven't played either. But it's got a lot of stuff going on, so I definitely want to check that out. But I had the itch to go back and play Fallout 4 and okay. still chipping away at that same save file. I didn't delete and start over again, thank goodness. That's good. <laughs> and last I updated, I think I was like right before the big decision of, okay, which of the four main factions do I want to side with? Because at some point, the other ones become hostile to you and you can only follow the storyline for that one and Mm -hmm. i made that decision but apparently it's not as far into the game as i thought because still everyone's friendly with me even though i'm doing all this stuff for this one faction and it's really interesting you're like going undercover at this one faction where basically you find your son which is the main point of the game and he's the head of this one faction so i'm undercover there and they're still like buddy buddy with me but i'm like sabotaging them behind the scenes so (laughs) it's pretty cool it's a neat storyline but there's this one really weird part where there's this big battle between three of the big factions and you know it looks pretty cool there's explosions everyone's fighting and i'm like i want to get in on the action but because i hadn't done anything to make any of the enemies hostile to me yet i just had to like keep shooting friendly troops if i wanted to be part of the fight and none of them ever fought back against me. So I was just like, what am I supposed to do here? It was really strange. It's, I guess, part of the jankiness of Bethesda open world games. But after a bit of just like shooting the uh, like robot people who I'm going up against, I just walked away because I was like, what am I, <laughs> what am I gaining here? They're not fighting back. It just feels really weird. 
<laughs> and I finished that mission. I was like, okay, that was very strange. Sounds like some uh, Anakin Skywalker stuff going on. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Everyone thought I was on their team, so I was just like walking through this battlefield totally unscathed. <laughs> uh, but it's been good. I took a brief break from that, though, because, of course, right as I started getting into it, Tarkov had a new update and decided mm. to wipe progress with this update. And I hadn't played in like oh. six months. So I was. Is this still an alpha? Beta. Yeah. But they're still oh, doing. Okay. They still do wipes whenever they do like a update that they feel is big enough that it will kind of like impact the economy. Usually when they add like new guns or a new map and like new loot pools and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so they did a big expansion to one of their previous maps. And. It was, it was perfect for me though. Like I was very much ready for the wipe because I hadn't played in months. So like if I had jumped in two weeks ago and started playing, everyone would have had the best gear in the game and I would have had like a pistol, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and people play pretty hardcore. So like in a couple of weeks, it might be like that again, but it's been nice going back in and being like, okay, yeah, here's what the Tarkov grind is again. It still gives me like heart palpitations every time I play it. So I don't know if it's good for me, but <laughs> such a stressful game, but it, that's been really fun too. I was like, I'm getting back into that, but I got to make sure I stay on track and keep playing fallout. I know I'm close. There's more quests <laughs> than I thought there were before I get to the end of the game. But like, I got to finish it just to fallout games yeah. are fun and just to like check it off and say, all right, I actually beat, Fallout 4, this game that came out like 10 years ago at this point or something crazy <laughs> like that. <laughs> and also, yeah, just, just to say that I had that experience. So hopefully yeah. I'll get back into that, but currently I am sidetracked with Tarkov. We'll see where I'm at next time we okay. record an episode. <laughs> nice. All right, well, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. But should we move to the special topic now, Wes? I think we should. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for today, we have kind of a fun one for you guys. Something a little different. We're going to be talking about some of the gaming concepts that we're looking forward to in the history of games that we haven't seen yet. Or maybe we haven't seen the iteration that we're looking for yet. So this isn't necessarily like the concepts that are going to be the most impactful for everybody in all times. It's just like stuff that we're looking forward to. So both Wes and I have two that we're going to talk about. I kind of want to start it off, Wes. What do you think? Yeah, go for it. I have one that kind of made me think about this special topic, and that is the first time that we're going to see level 1-1 one, one in a video game. Ooh, <laughs> so, okay. aka video games with levels. Uh, obviously, the thing that comes right to mind is Mario, you know, level 1-1. One, one. Right. But when is the first time we're going to see that? And I feel like when that happens, games are just going to, like, become crazy Im immediately because all the games <laughs> we play now they don't really have levels like the closest thing it would be like avalanche or something where after you win a certain game it starts another one and it's slightly different but it's not like level two <laughs> like there's no new enemies there's no new anything it's just the same again right so when's the first time we're going to get real levels in a game? That's, that's the question. I think particularly level 1-1. One, one. And when I was thinking about when we might see this, I think uh, Pac-Man has levels like that, right? Level 1-1, one, one, level 2-1, level 1-2, whatever. Yeah. And I think that comes out in 80? I don't know for sure. But I'm going to put my guess on we're going to see it in 1980. Okay, nice. Yeah, and I think that's a good guess. I, I don't know... I know Miss Pac-Man definitely has like distinct levels that are different colors and there's a different right. like special fruit that you can eat. But there are definitely different levels in Pac-Man, but I'll have to see like how they represent them. You know what I mean? Because it's always right. it's always the blue thing and I don't know if the map ever changes. But Yeah, that's the question. Does the map change? I forget. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see too. That's a that's an interesting point. If you had to guess higher or lower than 80, what are you feeling? I think, I mean, it's going to depend on how picky we are about whether it's like level 1-1 one, one or not, but I think higher. I think okay, we still got a, a little okay. bit of time. but Okay, uh, <laughs> we might. I've done some research for 79 already, and I don't think I've seen anything like that. So Okay. 
you might be right. You got that insider information. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. All right. And one of the ones that I'm excited to see is the first real first person reload animation of a gun. Oh, that's um, a good one. Yeah. And it's basically because I've been playing a lot of Fallout 4 and Tarkov <laughs> recently. Tarkov, of course, is like military simulator. So all those gun reload animations are crazy cool. And Fallout has some neat like sci-fi ones where you eject like this fuel cell out of a plasma or a, a laser pistol kind of thing. And I don't know. I just think that's become such a cool feature. And especially in first person shooters, like a benchmark of a good first person shooter is like, oh, well, how do the animations look? Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to see like what the starting place is. And yeah. so instantly my brain went to the original 1993 Doom. But if I'm remembering right, I didn't look up a video, which maybe I should have. If I'm remembering I right. I didn't look up any videos for me. So <laughs> they're just blind guesses. Yeah. If I remember right, the gun just like disappears off the bottom of the screen and then shows up again. And that's how you know okay. like the gun reloaded, except for the shotgun, which I think had like a pump animation. So that's kind of like my reference point. But hmm. even though Doom is really popular, I feel like the first animation is just like totally shot in the dark. I'm gonna say nineteen ninety one. Okay. Some game has got to have like some sort of first person animation before then. Maybe not though, because I mean, Doom is renowned as like the premier, like not first first person shooter, but like the one that people know. Yeah. Man, that's a hard one. Yeah, right. That's very specific. I did some specific ones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess later than 91. Later than 91. I only say that just because I recently played Dark Forces, which came out a little after Doom. But I don't think there are any reloading animations in that. I think you heard a sound effect and then your numbers went up on the side. Okay. So I could be wrong. I, I don't really remember, but yeah, that's tough. I, I'm going to go above 91. We'll have to get back to that in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited <laughs> to see. Find out. And I'll, it's, it feels totally random sometimes. Like Dark Forces in 95 could have no reloaded animations, but then this like, one-off game in 1988 yeah. could have it you know so yeah it's very true it's very true all right well i've got another one that i've got i'm looking forward to this one is also kind of weirdly specific it's not the first open world game but it's the first first person game that isn't in corridors <laughs> that's what i want <laughs> oh yeah because again i'm kind of thinking like i want to play games that have levels in them to me corridor mazes aren't levels <laughs> right even if you made the walls like look nice i, I want to play a game where i can like look more than five feet to the sides <laughs> so what game is going to have the first time it's a first person game and i'm not counting uh like space games this is like a walking game we'll say that doesn't have corridors or isn't in a corridor and for my guess I'm going to guess pretty high. I'm going to go 87. Yeah, okay. Just because I think first-person games are pretty rare and are hard to do. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I got to lean a little bit earlier than that. Yeah. Just because I feel like Apple II games, somebody's going to come up with something that's like, a more detailed first-person environment. But I don't know. In Apple II, you can't really do anything other than corridors. Yeah, that's tough. That's what I'm saying. That's, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a good one, though. I'm interested to say. All right, so you're thinking under. Yes, yeah. That's what I'll say for now, at least. Okay. <laughs> and then the second one that I had, gaming concept that I'm super interested to see, like the first iteration of, is specifically character skill trees. Yep. Because we've had... RPGs and we've had like strength stats, but we haven't had like five strength or invest invest a talent point to unlock this move kind of thing. Right. Um, and also probably because I've been playing Fallout recently, that was on my mind, and I'm thinking I might uh, jump back into Divinity Original Sin too. I just yeah, I want to see what the first iteration is of being able to unlock something or like getting skill points and being able to put them into something instead of just like 
nebulous experience, which gives you strength, which gives you health kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So given that CRPGs are kind of already in full force and D&D already exists, which basically has skill trees, um, I'm guessing, at least in the original version, you know, like barbarians level up to this level and then they get this move kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be very long before someone comes out with one, at least like a very simple implementation of it. So I think 1980, maybe, like pretty soon, we're going to see some sort of early skill tree, uh, which I'm super excited about. Like anytime you can see like, oh, if I get two more intellect, I can unlock fire blast or something like that. You know, that that's, yeah, that really helps make an RPG, I feel like. Yeah, I think your guess is pretty right on the point. That's where I would probably put it. So just for sake of argument, I'm going to go later. I'm going to go 81. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be close. Like someone's got to be thinking yeah. about that already. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty soon. I'm even thinking like some sort of 2D action game where you know, you could put a point into health or a point into how much attack damage you do. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I've seen that too in Castlevania or something. Right, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it'll be too long for that. And that'll be nice. That'll be like some real decision-making in the games. Right. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, sort of like, quote-unquote, builds for characters. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's a good one. I hope we get that soon, too. Alright, though. Those are our concepts we're looking forward to. I hope you guys like that. But why don't we take a small break and then head into the games for today. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome back to the History of Video Games. We are going to start off today by talking about some honorable mentions. And uh, before we like really get into it, I want to mention that both Wes and I are only going to review one game this episode, just because we've got a lot of mentions we want to go through. There's a bunch of computer games this episode, and we're just not going to have time to do four reviews like usual. So let's start getting into these mentions. The first one here is called Telepong from the Apple II. This one was sold by Apple to display their communication card, which allowed two Apple computers to connect to each other. And so this game used two computers, two monitors, and the people playing on those monitors could play Pong with each other. And it was kind of weird how it did it. Each player couldn't see the other one's paddle move in real time. It was only like, like you saw your paddle move in real time and then when the pong ball hit your paddle it displayed on the other person's screen for like a frame where that paddle was but otherwise it didn't worry about the other paddle and then the ball would you know come back to you it looked like it played really slowly <laughs> like the frame rate was really bad <laughs> but uh you know it's pong on two computers playing over radio or I don't know how it connected but <laughs> it was kind of cool and then the next one's called Atlantic Patrol it's by a person named R.D. Watts which came out sometime in 78 for the Commodore Pet this is a math game with an image of a ship on it and that image would change states depending on if the ship was damaged we're not going to review it just because it's a math game that involved like calculating angles and stuff so I don't know how fun it would be but the ship looked really good, that's for sure. It's a, a really nice kind of sprite. It didn't move or anything, but it was like a nicer version of a basic game to look at, at least. So nice. It was okay. <laughs> Slow, steady steps forward in the basic game uh, community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and next up, we have a couple Commodore pet games. Uh, we do want to mention that for these in this episode, um, 
We don't have too much documentation on them. They're all from one source, but it does seem like a pretty reliable uh, source. And we do have videos of this source playing emulated versions of all of these games. So we're pretty sure, certain that these all came out in 78, but we don't know tons about them. And so the first one is Tic-Tac-Toe for the Commodore Pet, which had this sort of 3D perspective effect to it, which was actually pretty cool. Made it look nicer than just traditional Tic-Tac-Toe. And then we had 17 und 4, which is a German version of Blackjack. Took me a while to figure that out, but 17 and 4 adds up to 21. So there you go. That's how you <laughs> piece you that go. together. <laughs> and this really had some of the best resolution graphics that we've seen in a Blackjack game to date. The number of the diamond and hearts and spades actually looked pretty good and were shown on the cards, but still just a Blackjack game. So not too much going on there. Yep. And then the next one, we've got Star Trek for the Commodore Pet again. I believe this is just a straight-up port of the 71 version of Star Trek. There might have been very small changes, but uh, it's on the Commodore Pet, and the Pet looks pretty good, so <laughs> that's good. And then next up, for the last of our Commodore Pet games, we have the game that I reviewed today, which is Othello, uh, otherwise known as Reversi or Swap. And you have probably heard us say Othello many, many times before yep. because it has been around for a very long time as an actual board game and also it's been put onto computers in basic games in text format many times before i think it was part of the original 101 basic game book which i think that came out in 74 i'm guessing but yeah and that book sold really well so this has been one of the more popular basic games for sure yeah and i'm sure because it's been around for a while, it's a popular challenge for people to program. And it's kind of one of those ones like tic-tac-toe where everyone's like, oh, you kind of want to make it in every language for every computer. Mm -hmm. But this version, which we're pretty sure came out in 78, is actually a pretty good version that has a good, good enough visuals that it's not like we're just reading text to assume what's happening in a board right. game. So we thought now would be a good time to take a look at it and describe Othello as we go through it. So just a little background on when I booted this game up, some stuff I thought about it. The instructions, and I don't know if this was written by the original coder or if it was written in the emulation that I played, but they actually had an S slash he for a she he when you're referring to your opponent, which has got to be the first time. I feel like every instruction in Flyer we see, it's like, when he, your opponent, does this, which, you know, uh -huh. it's the 70s. Everyone was referring to, like, anyone other than yourself is a male. Uh, but I just thought that was interesting. Nice to see that, you know, a little bit of representation of, like, hey, girls might actually play this game. You know, <laughs> they exist. <laughs> right. It's not just a man's world out there. So, <laughs> again, I don't know if that was just the emulation or not, but I was like, hey, glad to see that in there. And also... This version, like I said, we wanted to look at because it has visuals and it actually updates as you play. It's not like where the screen is just a bunch of X's, O's, and dashes and you have to say print board or some type of command to see what's happening every single turn. And Othello is based off of Reversi, which was originally created all the way back in 1883 uh, for the board game version. But the Othello version, which had basically exactly the same game except the initial board setup was different was actually patented pretty recently in 1971 by the salesman Goro Hasegawa. Overall you can sort of think of it as go with slightly different rules and less pieces. So getting into the gameplay this is going to be just sort of my brief overview of how to play Othello but you'll probably want to look up a video of how to play it if you actually want to get into it because it's much easier to see. Othello and Reversi are both conceptually very simple board games. They are played on a 8x8 board. Each player starts with two pieces in the center of the board, positioned diagonally from each other, just forming a little square. And you can only place a piece on a space if it will capture the other player's piece. And in Othello, you capture a piece by having one of your pieces on either side of it in a line, either horizontally or diagonally. And they can be 
any amount of spaces apart on that line. So say there's three black pieces going into diagonal. You already have one white at the end of that diagonal line. You could place your other white one at the top of that diagonal line, and you would capture all three black pieces that are in between it. So like go, except you don't have to fully surround a piece to be able to capture it. And the other main difference that I saw from Go is that instead of a captured piece being taken off the board, when a piece is captured, you flip it to match the color of whoever took it. So all of the three black pieces in that situation would turn to white pieces in that diagonal line. And basically you keep going through this alternating turns and placing pieces on the board until it is full or one of the players can't make any more moves. Uh, apparently Othello made the change where the game doesn't immediately end if a player can't make any more moves. They just pass, and then the other player makes a move, and then you keep going until nobody can make any more moves. And the person who wins the game is the one who has the most pieces on the board that match their color. I should also say that you can only place your pieces adjacent to another piece, which is sort of covered by the fact that you can only place a piece if it takes at least one of your opponent's pieces in that turn. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting game. It's probably not a fair comparison, but it feels like a like more restricted version of Go because there's like less options and less movement, I feel like. I'm pretty sure in Go you can kind of place anywhere on the board. Mm-hmm. But that also creates its own unique situations. I mean, there's still like competitive leagues of playing Othello as far as I could tell. Um, so it's definitely one where a lot of strategy goes into it. Maybe it'd be a little easier to pick up because goes like pretty hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I, I played one full game through this and I felt like I knew what was going on. Not well enough to have any sort of grand strategy, but I at least was like, okay, here's some of the consequences of my actions and what might be a good play kind of thing. Um, whereas yeah, Go is a little bit harder to get into, especially when you're playing on like the traditional, what is it like 10 by 10 or no, it's not that big, but it's a pretty big board. (laughs) Getting into the ratings that I had specifically for this version of it, for the Commodore pet for graphics, I gave it a one out of 10. There's nothing particularly fantastic going on here, but the game does display an eight by eight board has somewhat circular pieces they aren't just squares and they're either filled white or they're not filled so that they're showing the black background and all the lines are drawn in that familiar commodore pet green glow which i like the row and column names are labeled and in this you type in the coordinates of where you want to place your next piece so it makes that really easy to do there's a score on the right that changes to reflect the current amount of pieces that each player has And really, there's nothing special, but it's got to be the best-looking Othello game that's out so far. You can actually see and play it like a virtual board game, which is a lot more than we can say for all the text versions that we've had before this. For sounds, I was a little confused on this. I gave it a 0.25 out of 10, because when you start the game up in the emulator, there's like a series of beeps that sound definitely like some sort of tone or like a little tune that was played on purpose and it does sound like something that pet would have been capable of i think but also could it just be a weird thing with the emulator or like a typical noise that commodore pet games make and that's the only sound in the whole entire game so (laughs) even if that was specifically put into this othello game it's not like it's anything exciting so i just give it a low writing or low rating just in case it is actually an intended thing. Um, You know, it's nice, like, hey, start the game, but it's (laughs) not anything special. Now moving on to gameplay, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10, just because it really accurately and faithfully plays a game of Othello, as far as I can tell. It's super simple, but you can see your pieces move, You can see the board state change quickly without having to like wait for the computer to print out the next board. For the game itself, I'm sure there's tons of strategy that you could use and there's like a lot of knowledge and I'm sure a lot of people love this game. To me, it seemed like a weird tug of war because it's like you 
place one piece and then you lose three pieces and then you take five pieces and just like the way that you're slowly building outward with all these lines and capturing as you go until the board is full seems a little strange but that also might have been just because i was playing against myself so it's not like i was making a very educated decisions i don't really know if i like this game as much as go it feels like it's harder to capture a piece in go which is kind of interesting and also it gets removed so it creates these open spaces which i kind of visually like how that's like a representation of your point the open spaces that you've captured but i do think it's interesting that these slight differences in rules in othello just make it a really a totally different game they're very similar but i'm sure strategies in them are pretty different and i also think it's neat that the score updates after every turn which seems a bit odd for this type of game because in othello since the score is constantly fluctuating uh, like you capture five, but then you create a line so that the other person can capture five back. The score in the middle of the game doesn't really mean anything, but it is sort of an interesting illustration of like, oh, he's got 17 to 13 and now it's flipped. So it's a little pointless, but I did think it was funny just to watch how much the score goes back and forth. For relevance, I gave it a five out of 10. We've seen a lot of Othello games, and I'm sure because it's a good programming challenge and a lot of people enjoy playing it, a lot of people want to put it on computers. I don't really know if this version is particularly that relevant, but I do think the fact that it's super easy to play and it's a game that we've seen tons of iterations of, that's pretty important. And also it's for a popular computer of the time. So even though it probably already was a popular game, this is helping even more people play it because they can get it easily on a Commodore PET. So overall, I gave it a 1 out of 10. Uh, these types of games, I'm not great at. <laughs> I, I don't uh, have a lot of friends who, like you, Ben, who are very interested in learning the strategy of games like chess. Not my thing. But I do think this is a nice-looking and very playable version of Othello. So I'm glad that we were able to finally take a look at one so we have like a frame of reference for the, I'm sure, thousands of future versions of this game that we are going to see. My only barrier to getting into Othello is the game itself. It's not like I don't want to play this game because I have to read text and the graphics look horrible. Like this is just the version where it's like, okay, I'm playing Othello. It doesn't feel like I'm compromising to play it on a computer, which is really nice. Yeah. I didn't know how the game was played. It sounds, yeah, I don't really like the tug of war aspect of it. That yeah, it's weird. I mean, I'm sure there's strategies you can do to like plan five moves in advance. So like you're sacrificing pieces to gain a lot down the line but it's just real weird like you have to place a piece <laughs> next to the other person's piece so you know they're gonna take it at some point i don't know like i said i'm sure a lot of people like enjoy it and have great strategies for it but it's really not the game for me <laughs> i wonder if they're they get to the point where like since you can pass both people are like nah i'm not gonna put anything there <laughs> and it's stalemates or something <laughs> That's interesting. It seems like the kind of game that would be a lot of stalemates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Othello. I'm glad we finally took a look at it, like you said. Yeah. And it seemed like of all the versions, this one was okay. So Definitely. If you're going to play an old computer version of Othello, <laughs> this is the <laughs> one to do it. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's keep moving on, though. We've got a lot of honorable mentions to do. So this next one is called The Killer Shrews by Don Daglo. Hopefully that name is like memorable to you guys because we've seen Don Daglow a lot in the history of video games, especially in the very early history. He hasn't been around too much lately over the last couple of years, but this one, I don't know what it was. It sounds like a Hammurabi-esque game, but the code has been lost, which is the case with like every single Don Daglow game. So <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, hopefully at some point we'll be able to see one of his uh, masterworks and it'll be more than Hammurabi. <laughs> <laughs> it better be. And then next up we have Video Checkers by CompuQuote. We don't have much info on this, just a couple of ads. Just looked like some kind of checkers game. But it had video, maybe. So <laughs> there's something there. And the next up, we have a whole list of Soul 20 games that didn't sound like there was too much interesting going on with them or they were all text games, so we didn't really get into them. But we have Astro, Bomb Run, Drag 500, Dice Gam, which might just be the code for Dice Game, Fight, Galaxy, 
Battlestar Galactica, Game Pack 2, which had Hangman and Cubic, Golf Games, Gunner, Hockey, Creed, Oregon, Pinball, Poker, Radar, Sailplane, Shoot, Shoot 2, two different versions of Space War, and then a couple different Star Wars games called Star War and STTR 1 and 2, and then WW3, which I'm assuming was a text game. So a lot of interesting Soul 21s, but uh, nothing that we thought was interesting enough to really look at and play. Yeah, probably a lot of mathy stuff. Yes. All right, but let's move on, though. We got the next one, which I actually rated. It's called Treasure Hunt, and I thought it would be a cool game, Wes. (laughs) (laughs) It's by a guy named Lance uh, Miklas, and in the game code, it has a date of May 1978. Although it might not have been published till later, I did find it in a magazine from October. Doesn't mean it wasn't published somewhere else earlier, but for sure it was published by at least October, but it was written in May, so we're going to check it out in May. And I thought this was going to be another text-based RPG, which I was cool with. I was like ready for it. But uh, this is actually a Hunt the Wumpus-inspired game. It does have some aspects of Colossal Cave Adventure in there, I read later that Lance Miklas actually will come out with a couple other games that were more closely related to Colossal Cave Adventure. But this one is definitely Hunt the Wumpus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's been a long time since we've looked at a game like that. I think you did the original Hunt the Wumpus, and I don't think we've rated one since then. Yeah. Maybe you did another one. I forget, though. Uh, when did that come out like 72 like that was like one of our first episodes <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a while <laughs> and we have seen ports of it and clones of it all throughout the years so maybe it's about time we checked one out again but this one's called treasure hunt and the whole point of the game is you're going through a cave that sounds familiar <laughs> except <laughs> there's 20 different treasures in the cave and you have to find them and then take them to the entrance of the cave And if you can put all 20 there, then you win. So that's what you're trying to do. Uh, There is no like wumpus that you're hunting. (laughs) It's uh, and this is where the colossal cave influence might be coming in. There are puzzles in there and there are monsters, some of which you have to avoid. They don't chase you or anything. And some of them act as puzzles where maybe you need a sword to slay something or something like that. So there are some monsters in there. There's some dangers like pits and uh let me see what what are all the monsters actually i wrote them down we've got bats bats apparently pick you up and put you in a different room and if you're carrying treasure you'll drop it in a random room in between the rooms (laughs) which sound like just really annoying creatures (laughs) yeah which is one of the wumpus versions had super bats were which were just as annoying if i remember okay (laughs) you have an earthquake which apparently moves the rooms around like the order of the rooms which sounds really annoying especially if you're making a map (laughs) then you have a pirate which i'm not sure if i'm on board with the theming here but we have a pirate and the pirate will steal your treasure if you have it and then run away with it and i read in the crpg adventure blog that they don't know if you ever get the treasure back or if it's just gone (laughs) and then there's a dragon which you can kill with a gun even though there is a sword in the game (laughs) and apparently when you kill the dragon it drops a book with the location of every princess in Vermont in it. And if you want to know how Vermont's involved at all, let me read you the uh, the intro text. This is the background. This is the uh, the story mode, if you will. It says, The Loomis Caves, located in Loomisville, Vermont, which the CRPG adventure said wasn't a real place, <laughs> are said to have 20 hidden treasures in them. Few explore the caves because it is said that pirates and dragons live there. (laughs) And there are deep pits which many have fallen into and died. You, a smart and brave human, and I, an alert computer, that seems weird, will explore the caves and try to find the treasure. I will be your eyes and ears and will tell you if there's danger ahead, which it does do. I hope you brought a map. If not, you'll have to make one up as we explore. Are you ready to begin? That's the the background. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it does sometimes tell you there's danger in a room ahead which 
if you're playing really slowly, you can backtrack and try to go around it. But basically, when you enter a room, it says, you know, this room is connected to three other rooms, and one of them has danger in it. So you could either go a 50-50 chance because you came from one of the rooms. So there's two that you haven't been into and just take the chance. And if you get it wrong, you're probably going to fall in a pit and insta-die and you have to start over. Or you could backtrack and try to, you know, go a different way, which is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I tried to play this and I just got impatient. It took a 50-50 and lost. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it happens. So, yeah, that's essentially the game. I've got a lot of problems with this game, Wes. <laughs> oh, let me hear him. Yeah, so the last like RPG I did was Journey to the Center of the Earth, right? And in that game, I actually made my own map, and I pretty happily enjoyed making it. I kind of liked that part. But in this game, I read it ahead of time again, and I found out that there's 95 rooms in it. And I was like, I'm not making a map of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too big. And... um the rooms are kind of randomly arranged so it doesn't really make sense what connects to what i think there is some sort of weird mathematical you know way that they're arranged but if you're just playing through it it feels pretty random and the other thing that just killed me was that in journey to the center of the earth you had a little description about every single room you went into and that was great that made each one a little bit memorable even if they didn't make any sense but in this game it's literally like you're coming from room one and now you're in room two and you have the option to go to room one, 31 and 64, you know, <laughs> and that's it. And then you're in room 31. You have the option to go to room 59, 64 and 78. And that's it. That's there's no description at all <laughs> to what, what you're doing or where you are. It's just a room number. And that just killed me. <laughs> I was like, this game is just so boring. <laughs> like, there's nothing interesting going on. The puzzles, I think some of them are kind of cool. There's one where you meet an invisible man somehow, and he says, can you help me find an invisible dog that's lost? And basically, if you're in a room adjacent to the dog, it'll tell you that you hear a dog barking. But of course, you have to kind of work it out to figure out, since you can go to multiple rooms, which one that the dog is in. And when you're in the room with the dog, it doesn't bark. You have to be adjacent. So... I thought that was kind of a cool puzzle. Uh, it doesn't really make sense with the dragon and the pirate, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But there's just not enough stuff like that. It's really that. There's a wizard that I think you have to give him something, and then he gives you something, and that's it. So, I don't know. It just was pretty boring. Like, probably 75% of the rooms you go into have nothing in them. <laughs> so... It's uh, not the best, but let me keep talking about it. So the treasures themselves, I thought this was super weird. So you can carry up to three treasure at a time, which means you have to make your way back to the entrance at least, what, seven drop-offs? <laughs> so not only do you have to know where you're going and find the treasures, but you have to make your way back multiple times. <laughs> And some of the treasures can actually, like, screw you if you drop them off too early because some of them are used as keys to open up other parts of the game or to get additional treasure. So, for example, I think the gun is a treasure, but then you need to use the gun to kill the dragon. So if you return the treasure to the entrance of the cave, you'll drop it there and you can't pick it up again. Oh, no. <laughs> Why would they do? <laughs> so <laughs> you can like just get stuck because you took treasure back too early <laughs> essentially i guess the strategy is to drop all the treasure off like a room before the the entrance <laughs> until the very end but that apparently happened to the crpg adventure guy so i felt bad for him <laughs> um and then there's apparently a just some bugs or some weird like RNG stuff in the game. I already mentioned the earthquakes and the bats, but apparently one of the items you need to bring is a magical carpet and it can just disappear. <laughs> and uh, the CRPG adventure uh, couldn't figure out why it did that. So <laughs> he just had to restart the game and try it again a couple times till he got it, which um, 
yeah, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> I don't know if it's <laughs> unfinished or just part of the code that wasn't working. I don't know. It's like a really large game with like nothing in it is the best way to describe it. <laughs> and like just no soul, you know, that's what I felt about it anyway. So let me get into my ratings for gameplay. I gave it a 0.75. I did not like this. I didn't play it for very long. <laughs> There's two things that really killed me. How large it was and empty it was. And then no rooms were labeled at all. It's room one, it's room two, it's room four, it's room 94. So to me, those games are really easy to get lost in. And it's just super boring. Like Journey to yeah. the Center of the Earth was so much better because every single room had a little theme to it. And that made each room memorable. But in this one, it's just... Why even go into a room if there's nothing there? I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't I didn't really like it. Uh I don't know how similar that is to Hunt the Wumpus, but I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Definitely not in 78 anyway. For graphics, man, I gave it a zero. Even the lore was bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I gave it a zero. It's all text based. For sound, I gave that a zero, because it's all text based. <laughs> For relevance, I did give it a 6.5 out of 10, mainly just because I know the guy who writes this is going to go on and write some more important games, some more traditional colossal cave adventure games. So this is his first game, so I wanted to give it a little bit there. But I don't think many people played this. <laughs> and then overall, I gave it a 0.5 out of 10. It's really bad. But it's weird because I think like the score is maybe the lowest I've given all year, but I feel like another game's gonna take worst game of the year because this one doesn't like insult me. I just think it's a bad game. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like we've like the historically the the worst games of the years are games where I get angry playing because it's like insulting, <laughs> insultingly <laughs> bad. But this is like somebody's first game, and maybe they loved Hunt the Wumpus and wanted to do their own thing, and they they tried and. There's nothing bad about the game necessarily. It's just like not a good game. So the rating is really low, but I don't hate this game. I just wouldn't play it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that sounds so. like quite a doozy of <laughs> a lot of nothing, a lot of weird things to instantly make you not want to play the game. Like text adventure games, definitely a few of them have just like instant death scenarios. Yeah. Like the, um, the ghoul in the haunted house game that I played last week, mm -hmm. um, house of seven gables. And it's all right. If there's only a couple and also if they're like known entities, so you learn from them. But if you have like a quake that just changes everything up, like halfway through the game, you could be like, I know room five has a hole always. And then it might not anymore. Right? Like that's, yeah. <laughs> And the game itself will randomize itself after every game. Yikes. Well, you know, what's in every room will change. I guess the real thing about it is that it supposedly warns you you're adjacent to something bad. It does tell you that. So it, it's hard to die unless you take a risk somewhere. It can happen. Like there's one where when you meet the wizard, it doesn't actually tell you that there's a wizard in the room. It says there's a magic book. And if you try to take it, you instantly get slain by the wizard. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> so you need, I forget what you need, like maybe the sword or something. And then you can grab the book from the wizard and he can't attack you or something. I don't know how it works, but so it, it can't happen, but I guess that's how they try to fix that. But it's still just like boring. Really? It sounds rough. Really boring. I mean, it doesn't have the, sort of i mean not the hump hunt the wumpus is a great game but i feel like the driving factor that makes it popular is like you're constantly seeking this one thing so you have to have a reason to put yourself in danger you know it's mm -hmm. like i know the hump the wumpus is one square away from me or two squares away from me because you smell it or whatever and there's a reason i might want to go this direction but if you could just like slowly creep your way through all these rooms to accumulate things to maybe solve the puzzle if you don't put the wrong things back first. Yeah, no, I can, I can see why that wasn't a fun time. That, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
maybe like Lance's next one will be good, but yeah, yeah. I mean, his first one, uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like a good time, man. Oof. <laughs> All right, let's keep going though. We've got a lot of honorable mentions left. So this next one is called Star Wars, otherwise known as Star Wars Simulation. And I think I only found this in a magazine, but um, it's by the company Objective Design, and it's for Intel 8080 machines. And it looks like a first-person flying game in the Star Wars universe. Kind of uh, Bob Bishop Star Wars-y in terms of how the like TIE Fighter, for instance, looked. But there was an X-Wing in it as well that the picture showed. But yeah, we've got pictures of this game from a magazine, although the code appears to have been lost to time. So we only have pictures from a magazine. But the pictures looked really cool. So I imagine it was a good game. We just don't really know much about it. It's possible it was never completed or sold. But it seemed cool, at least in the magazine articles. (laughs) That's worth something. And then next up we have PlayBJ which was in Gambling Times. It was a mainframe version of a blackjack game, which basically we know nothing about, but we did find several things referencing that this advertisement for PlayBJ, a mainframe blackjack game, existed in the May 1978 issue of Gambling Times magazine. Uh, But we couldn't find a PDF of the magazine to even know what it looked like. But I would guess at this time, probably just another simple blackjack game, maybe with some sort of visual display of the cards. Yeah. And I don't think we ever talked about Gambling Times magazine. I don't think it's a gaming magazine. So that was probably just a one off for them. But this next magazine is a brand new magazine that we will be seeing more of. It's called Personal Computer World. And man, if these magazine names get any more similar, (laughs) we're going to have a problem. (laughs) But the main keyword here is that this has world in it, personal computer world, as opposed to people's computer company or something like that, or people's computers. But uh, this one, the first issue came out in January, February. There wasn't anything of note in that issue. So we're looking at issue two, which is the main May, June issue. What's important about this magazine is the first computer newsletter to be a European magazine. I guess it was a... UK magazine is my guess because it's in English, but it could be anywhere. But I thought it was really funny. In the first issue, it specifically says, we want to be like Byte Magazine. (laughs) You know, (laughs) one of the big ones over here. Right. So this was their version of it. And it actually, it's, it's smaller than the US ones, but it's actually got some good stuff in it. In the May-June issue, there's a game called Scramble in there that I thought was kind of cool. It was a Scrabble-type word game where you're picking letters and you had to try to make words from those letters. But it's not necessarily, like, on a board. It's more just picking and making words. So it's a cool, like, European computer release. Yeah, yeah. Getting some more slightly interesting things in the magazine world. And on to... Not to be confused with Personal Computer World, People's Computers, the May-June issue. Uh, we didn't cover anything for the January through April issues of this just because there wasn't anything notable, but we do have quite a few games in the May-June issue that we want to talk about. The first of which is Star Wars by Mark Pelcharski. I'm not good at saying uh, Polish names. There's a Z in there somewhere, so uh, sorry for butchering that. <laughs> But it's an, it does have an interesting take on the Death Star sequence for this game. It's basically a turn-based game where you're dodging TIE fighters until eventually you have to align yourself with a target to blow up the Death Star. Uh, but we do only have code for this. I would imagine it's a text game, but I'm not too sure about that. There are like some pictures of it. It's text, but it's kind of like one of those ASCII characters of like a grid with like pluses and circles on it. You know what I mean? Okay, so that's at least something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's better or not. But. <laughs> better than just text, I think. <laughs> yeah. And then next up, we have Casino by Borge Christensen. Again, saying the names wrong, I'm sure, but it was a roulette game uh, with a simulation aspect added to it where. That made it so if you did too well in the casino, they would actually ask you to leave. Like, you know, hey, stop winning these games or else we're going to break your ankles kind of thing. Um, So nice they have a little flavor text for that. (laughs) 
And then next up we have Pong for the Pet by Martin Cohen, uh, which is Pong. Uh, we only have code for it, but we'll be able to cover something like this a little bit later when we see it published. And then also in the May-June issue of People's Computers, we've got Kaleidoscope. It's probably the most detailed version of Kaleidoscope we've seen to date, even though it's not a game, but it was on the Commodore PET, so the resolution was pretty good, although I don't think it had very many colors, if any at all. It was mainly just like lines and shapes that did weird stuff. Moving on, we've got Vegas Blackjack, a.k.a. Tiny Blackjack, which was a version of Blackjack that did let you split hands, double down, and give extra score when getting a blackjack. So I guess there's more going on there than usual, <laughs> although I think it's just text-based. And then finally, we've got a port of Hunt the Wumpus, as if we didn't have enough Wumpus already in this episode. But this one was written in level one basic. I think they had already published like a level two basic, but readers said that they couldn't figure out how to do it. So I think this is a bit of a dumbed down version, but it's still for the TRS-80. So I'm sure it could play Wumpus just fine. And then to wrap up our honorable mentions, we have the Creative Computing May-June issue. The first game of which we want to talk about is Tennis Match, which is a RNG text turn-based sport game of tennis uh, that played speech sounds. I'm not sure. Ben, do you know what uh, system this was playing on that it was able to play speech sounds? Or is that just in the code? Uh, I'm not sure. I, it was sold with something else or, you know, it had some other component to it. Got it. Maybe I can look it up real fast. It just says microcomputer. So I think it's any real computer. It's a separate piece of hardware. The the sounds or Yeah, that made the sounds. Okay. And by the way, it says I didn't see this. It doesn't put the code for it, but it says that it also comes with Lunar Lander. <laughs> that said sounds. <laughs> oh, sounds for Lunar Lander with that yeah. hardware as well. Okay, interesting called the Model 1000 Speech Synthesizer huh. System for S100 Bus Computers. Okay, gotcha. So after that one, we've got Encounter. This is a two-player real-time game involving two keyboards where each player moves soldiers around to capture tiles on a board and can engage in combat with each other. I am really interested in this one, Wes, because it's in real time. So whoever can type faster gets to move faster. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Since there's two keyboards, this is like a real-time strategy game. I mean, whoever it's like if you can type out the the code faster, you know, to make people move or whatever, you can just do it. So I really thought that was interesting. The combat in it is like two soldiers move on top of one another. One has like, let's say, 10 guys, one has five, and then like every second each side loses one person until the guy who had 10 now has five and they're on top of it. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. So it's not really combat, but sounds cool. And then after that, we've got Oregon Trail. This is version 2.0. There Ooh. are actually a lot of different versions of Oregon Trail. This one's by Dan Rawwich. So it's version 2.0, but really it only just changed percentages under the hood to make the program feel a lot more realistic. For example, Sometimes you get a uh, dialogue that's like, there are riders ahead of you, you know, X happens or something. But that would actually, in this version, decrease the further you got to Oregon because that would mean that there's less riders ahead of you to the goal. So <laughs> just some weird stuff like that. But it seems like pretty much Oregon Trail. We'll have to keep our eyes out to see if any future versions really do change a lot. Oh, yeah, because it's always a good time to get in there and get bit by a snake, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then next up we have art auction which is a game uh sort of that involves buying and selling paintings and using probability to give you hints on how much different paintings would go for and if that's your kind of thing it doesn't sound too <laughs> riveting you know and then last up for our honorable mentions we have black box which is a game where you shoot beams into a grid and then based on where they end up, you can determine how they were deflected within the grid, and you're trying to hit certain points in the grid. So the way I think about it is it's almost like 
I don't know, solving for X in an algebra equation or something. If you can kind of figure out how your beams are being deflected, you can sort of aim them to hit the certain points in the grid that you need to hit. Mm -hmm. um, sort of interesting. It just kind of seems like a spin on some of those games where you have to blow up sections of a grid to trap a cruiser or something like that. Um, but just another spin on a sort of math guessing probability type game. Yep. And that'll do it for us today, guys. Maybe a bit of a shorter one. We'll see. But I hope you liked it anyway. We did cover 24 games. So it's a <laughs> lot of stuff. Wes and I rated one. Wes, you did Othello, a game that has been around from the very beginning. And we're finally getting to. <laughs> and I did Treasure Hunt, which the name made me think, oh, this might be pretty cool. And then it was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. So. And then we also talked about our favorite concepts we're looking forward to, which I really enjoyed. So thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. And we'll hopefully we'll, uh, in episodes to come, we'll get to see how right we were with those predictions. Uh, but make sure to follow us on Twitter for updates about when our episodes are going up and check out our website to get a visual look at our timeline and more information about all the things that we've previously covered. And make sure to send us an email if you have any questions. And with that, we'll see you next week. See you all next time.